Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 243rd episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. I am still there. Not everybody is, but I am. And I've got a couple other guys that are still on Twitter. Uh, and we have a lot to go through. So um, uh, before I bring the guys in, uh, I, I do want to give a little bit of a caveat up front. So obviously, um, there was a pretty big deal that happened earlier in this week um, with the injury uh, to DeMar uh, Hamlin. And there are folks that, you know, who saw that experienced it and pretty traumatized by it, not just the players, but fans. And there's some folks that are like, not ready to talk, think, you know, discuss football. And I totally respect it. Totally get it. Uh, for us, you know, we also have a lot of stuff that we do want to talk about, and there's other things that people want to um, engage with. So we're going to do the show. Uh, obviously, if you feel differently, if you're not up for it this week, please feel free to, to take the week off or listen to it on the podcast or anything else. But just want to let you folks know, we'll talk about that a little bit in more detail, but we're not going to go deep into that on this show. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about relative to the draft, relative to the Seahawks, relative to all sorts of other things, and we're going to dive into that. So um before we do let me bring in jeff simmons at real jeff simmons where are you located today jeff are you still down south or are you back up north? 
I'm still down south. I'm wearing a t-shirt. Um, Should have known. Yeah, uh, I'm back in Canada by the weekend, but I'm enjoying this right now. I just watched my Raptors get killed on ESPN. But um, yeah, first happy New Year to everyone, and yeah, I'm back. There's a lot going on this week, so I'm glad I can talk to you guys given everything that's gone on. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, and then. A face that not as many people know, but he has been part of the Real Hawk Talk crew and the Hawk Blogger crew for years now. Derek Gebby. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Derek, D-E-R-Y-C-K-G underscore. He's one of those underscore guys. So D-E-R-Y-C-K-G underscore. He wisely typed it in as his handle for the show, so you can find him there. Please give him a follow. Um, has written some great stuff for the blog and uh, always a critical thinker of what's going on. And someone who doesn't agree with us in many cases, which I love because it makes for a good d- discussion. So, Derek, man, good to see you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to get, get started and lots to talk about, not just in the finish of the season, potential playoffs to talk about, but also draft coming up with four picks in the top 50. So, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know if I like that layout. There's too many, too much of us in there. It's a little yeah. too, too crowded. <laughs> too, um, much <laughs> too much face. Too much face. So the one thing I'm going to say, and I want to get your, you know, if you guys have any thoughts, feel free to chime in. One thing I will say about the, the DeMar Hamlin thing is one, it was obviously like an awful, awful experience for obviously the people going through it first and foremost. And, you know, everyone on our show, everyone everywhere, everywhere else, you know, is thinking about him. You know, if you're religious, praying for him, all those things and his family and all his teammates and everyone involved. And I think the outpouring of support and the charity that, you know, the, the money that has been raised, all that's, I think, a very cool story and just a, a show of the good side of humanity, which is, is, is nice to see. I will also say that some of the things that drive me crazy about those situations is when it goes from genuine support to people exploiting it for uh, clicks, retweets, uh, ratings and they talk about it nonstop. They quote tweet things that they easily could have just retweeted, but they do it because they want to have their own, you know, thread on it. And, you know, I would just, <laughs> maybe it's just me and maybe it's totally inappropriate to bring up, but I, I would just love it for people to be able to say their piece and, and speak their piece and, and not turn someone's tragedy into, uh, a way to drive engagement like that that is where it, it starts to feel false to me I, do you guys are, are you guys picking that up at all or am i just like being super sensitive uh I, I see it a little bit i mean what bothered me a little bit was just the kind of the misinformation i mean that's just the whole whole issue of itself but you know things coming out that night of you know supposed sources and then you know those were just be re- being retweeted endlessly so it's like it was just slow down you know let, let the facts come out, but that's my, that's my bit. Yeah. Jeff, anything you had, you want to say on that or we can move on if not. Yeah. We, we were texting that night and I actually really agreed with you. And it almost seemed like there was like a contest on between like NFL Twitter and the media to like, who can rip the league the most. And I found like, it was just so off base based on what was happening. And it was like, why are they canceling the game? What's taking so long? It's like, this is a thing that affects millions of people. Like it's not something that's done five minutes to upset outrage and all these people that were 
it was like everyone was like topping each other and like the media gets so caught up in themselves sometimes it was kind of embarrassing like i was cringing because and ryan clark was on he was doing such a good job and there's all this stuff on twitter and you they're just so caught up in their own world that i don't know if virtual signaling virtual signaling is the right word but there was a lot of that going on it, it really rubbed me the wrong way it was so times like this, the media seems to like get caught up in this world. And I always tell us in the group, Twitter is such a bubble. You almost lose sense of reality sometimes. I thought that was a great case of what was happening. Yeah. Well, I should say this because I'm going to rip the NFL momentarily. Uh, I didn't feel as negatively about the NFL as what seemed like the vast majority of the people. I thought this is a... This is a unique situation, something the NFL has not deal dealt with in the same way uh, for all the reasons that, I mean, Skip Bayless got absolutely destroyed and I get it, but I think the general question of like, what do we do? Like, this isn't a game we can really probably cancel relative to the implications. There's cascading like literally hundreds of thousands of people in terms of tickets and travel plans and events and, and uh, venues that have a ripple effect from this. I think taking a beat makes us makes sense. Um, and uh, they got to the right conclusion. And we don't, I don't know if we'll ever really know whether they said that, after, you know, take five minute break and then get back out there. I think that would absolutely deserve some criticism. Even if they did that, I would give some grace as to like, maybe they're just, that's where they normally would go. And they're trying to figure it out. Like, I don't think there was any evil um, or maliciousness behind that. I think they were genuine, genuine people trying to figure out how to make this work. So um, I didn't have as much animosity about the NFL. I know that that's probably heresy, uh, but I will tell you where I do have frustration with the NFL. And this isn't a humanity thing. So this is a, this is a bit of a odd transition. Um, something that had nothing to do with, you know, caring, empathy, kindness, you know, you know, just being human. The, the scheduling decisions that the NFL made this week, I, you know, I, I want to hear your, your thoughts. If you guys have any strong feelings, I think two things are true. One Seahawks shouldn't you know anyone that says the Seahawks make the playoffs or not based off of this decision, I think is kidding themselves the seahawks lost four games to the nfc south they lost games that they shouldn't have lost this season they had chances to control their own destiny and leave it's like you say you don't leave the game to the refs you don't leave the game to the nfl scheduling you know decisions either so i believe that that's true i also believe it's absolute bullshit that the nfl put the packers in that game there was absolute opportunity to not do that i believe it's also bullshit that the NFL days later, including just today, moved the Ravens game to 10 a.m. Pacific. So it's going to happen before the Broncos game. And the, the Chargers will know whether or not they have to put in their starters to play for the fifth seed. They didn't have to make those decisions. And I feel like they have in the past talked about competitive balance. And I feel like they're hypocrites. And I think it's obnoxious that the NFL has made those decisions, which turn what could have been like an even more exciting final weekend. They were given a gift of all these games that were going to matter that they could play simultaneously. And they turned it into what could be like pretty boring. Like, um, you know, and I think that's just a mistake on a, on a number of levels. Uh, Derek, I'm curious, like did that, 
Do you have any different feelings? Did any of that like it? It didn't really rub me the wrong way. I mean, mm-hmm. I agree that look, Seahawks went zero three against the Falcons, the Panthers, and the Saints. I mean, that's that's pretty damning itself. So, I'm not too bothered if if they lose out on the playoffs. Uh, you know, because to be honest, you know, losing those games is is embarrassing. But to to your point, yeah, the NFL in the past has shied away from scheduling primetime games on the final week for this very reason of competitive balance. So it's maybe this is just a change in the policy. And from now on, they're, they're going to be okay with putting games in primetime. If that's the case, then, then so be it. I'm not too bothered either way. Um, but I will say, you know, I've seen some stuff go around like, Oh, Dan Campbell won't let his players, you know, or, you know, Dan Campbell's going to fight and regardless of the situation and sure he'll give a nice pep talk, but the players will make business decisions. I mean, they do it anyway. Uh, at, at certain points in the season. And there's no doubt that if they know they have nothing to play for and they're, you know, maybe a free agent heading into this off season, there may be some, some decisions made. So, and, and nothing wrong with that, but that's, that's why you don't put the games at different times. So Jeff. Yeah. I'd be really fired up about this. If circumstances were a little different because San Francisco is likely the two seed, to be honest, as a Seahawks fan, I'm just not that motivated for them making the playoffs. I don't want to play San Francisco again. I don't want to be knocked out of the playoffs by San Francisco, but it's, it's a, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. The worst part about it is that they've set up the schedule. They leave everything blank before the last week to set up the best situation for television and the best situation for the playoff settings. The fact that they do this and completely shortchange one team to me, it just defeats the entire purpose. You might as well set the schedule months in advance and, there was just like a perfect opportunity to put the Jaguars on this game, the Jaguars. And like, obviously the Packers are a better draw than the Jaguars, but like in the past, that's what they've done. They put the Charlie Whitehurst Seahawks against the Rams in this spot. And that's a, the equivalent of the Jaguars against Josh Dobbs. Like they've done this in the past. They've done this for years. And the fact that they just completely just cut what they believed in just to get Aaron Rodgers on that spot. To me, that's just a joke. It's I'm with Derek Again, they went 0-4 against the NFC South. They deserve every bad scenario they deserve. But it's it's completely ridiculous. There's no reason to do this. They, they, the whole schedule is designed for that exact. And then the, the Denver thing today, the Cincy-Baltimore thing, is brutal. We'll get into that when we talk about the draft. But that's, that's a brutal turn of events, especially Baltimore lost in the last play of the game, the fourth quarter. So, man, it's, it's a killer turn for them. Yeah, for, for I didn't give people the complete story, but I mean the the Ravens play the Bengals on Sunday, and that game was initially not scheduled for one o'clock or four o'clock Eastern time, and today they announced it was going to be at one o'clock, so it could have been easily a four o'clock game. They didn't go that direction. The Ravens, I don't expect to win that game. I don't know what the odds are. Is this in Baltimore? Do we know? Anybody? No, I believe it's in Cincy. I think it's in Cincinnati as well. So I would say there's a 75% chance or more that Baltimore is going to lose that game. And that will clinch the fifth seed for the Chargers. The Chargers do play at four o'clock Eastern time, one o'clock, you know, Pacific. And they're playing the Broncos. So you know, uh, Brandon Staley has said that he's planning to play his starters all week. Part of it was that the fifth seed matters. He talked about the fifth seed. Now there's a chance that he'll already have the fifth seed. And 
they may choose to arrest guys. And look, I mean, that's probably going to be the difference between the third and the fifth pick in the draft. It's not like the third and the 10th pick. It's not like the third and the 15th. Um, I think <laughs> any of us would be thrilled with a top five pick if we knew it was coming back. It, it does have substantial meaning if you look at draft value charts and what that like, let's say the Seahawks do decide to trade back, trading back from three to seven, you're going to net much different things. than if you're trading back from five to seven or five to nine or something like that. So it does have it does matter. And if you really have your eyes set on what are at least now the marquee defensive linemen in this draft, maybe that'll change after the combine and we get more more discussion those guys are going to be gone by five, most likely. Um, so, you know, I think those are real costs and they're things that didn't need to be costs. The NFL could have just as easily made that game at four o'clock and made those teams play, you know, full out. So we'll see how it plays. The Broncos are bad enough. Maybe they'll lose. Even if the, the Chargers play their backups, we can all hope we've seen a lot of good stuff happen there. All right, let's quit from bitching for a second. Let's talk. I, I, we could talk about the Seahawks, um, and we will. I actually want to talk a little bit about the Jets game. I thought there was some interesting stuff there. I do want to talk about, um, you know, what's coming up, and we do have patron questions. We'll get to, but I want to talk draft, guys. Like I've been like wanting to talk draft for weeks. Like I'm doing like mock drafts at three in the morning when I can't sleep. And I know you two are actually kind of draft guys as well. And I don't even know where to start. I'm going to tell you where I'm going to start. You guys tell me if you want to go a different direction. But I got my first live game experience watching Jalen Carter play in the playoff game when Georgia was playing against um ohio state which by the way was a fantastic game like really fun game to watch a lot to see there a lot of talent obviously and i had watched highlights of jalen carter i'd read draft reports and and scouting reports of jalen carter i'd read articles about his background and what makes him great and i'd read like pff i'd read a bunch of stuff i've watched a bunch of stuff but like there's something different about watching a full game of a player and for whatever reason, the two things that jumped out for me is he's like, he's lankier than I'm, I expected him. He's a little bit higher cut than I'm used to for a defensive tackle. Um, and so I, I actually could kind of get the basketball background that he's got. Like he almost looks like a tight end and he played offense a lot in high school. Um, and the other thing was, I just was not seeing a lot of push. So those are two things that I was like, I know he's getting double teamed. Maybe we're going to find out that Josh is Weipler, uh, the center for Ohio State, who's considered a, one of the best centers in this draft. Maybe he played a great game. Um, I was generally underwhelmed with what I saw from Jalen Carter. The one play that actually jumped out to me was neither of his splash plays. It was a play where, um, where, uh, Ohio State, the, the the quarterback was running out and uh, and Jalen Carter was chasing him down and he looked fast, <laughs> like he looked very fast for a 300 plus pound guy. He ended up getting gassed and <laughs> couldn't complete the play, but it was still I could see the athleticism that stuck out to me. So my first question, you know, uh, Jeff, I know you feel differently about this, you know, and I'm not I'm certainly not saying that I'm like down on Jalen Carter and not interested but I thought that was a pretty bad look for him in that game. And I, I want to hear, cause I know you feel differently what your thoughts were. 
No, I don't agree with you. I mean, I don't disagree with your perception of that game. He did not have a good game. And a lot of people were seeing him on the big stage. And it's a, it's a playoff game, going to the national championship. You want to see guys shine on the biggest stages. but And he didn't play well. But I want to caution people not to let one game view perception. Because if you watched any of the last five games he had played against SEC teams, you would have just felt completely different. And it's one game I know – there are definitely concerns on him that kind of highlight in this game. Some of the concerns that you might have, I know Derek's talked about, but I'll say this for context. If you watch Aiden Hutchinson play in the same setup last year, he had like a zero kind of game. And a lot of people who had, who are following the draft like us at that top three pick, they were very worried about Aiden Hutchinson. He was shut down in that game. He had a game very similar to Jalen Carter. A lot of people wondering if he's a bust. He comes into the NFL this year and just totally rips it up. Like, I want to caution people not to let one game. And the good thing with Carter, we're going to get to see him again. TCU is obviously not the kind of team Ohio State is, but we're going to get a chance to see him again. But I think a lot of the things we did see with Carter are the downside of him as a prospect. Um, you saw him look pretty gassed. I think that was the biggest concern as much as, like, the lack of impact. He looked gassed. They weren't playing him on a ton of snaps. And conditioning and some of those things are questions about him. Um, you want to see a guy do better against double teams. That's I think all of those concerns are valid. Just I, I caution against letting one game change perception because the last five or six games he was the best player in the SEC. And but there there are there are real this guy is not a perfect prospect. And really there aren't like these guys don't come out and dominate every snap. Aaron Donald went 14th overall. I'm not saying he's Aaron Donald, but these guys aren't perfect prospects. All these guys have flaws and limitations. And that game showed you what those limitations are with him. And he doesn't play a ton of snaps. Are there conditioning issues? If I'm the Seahawks and I'm evaluating, if you're the Seahawks staff, you got to go back to the board and you got to ask yourself those very questions. Why is he not playing more snaps? Why was he gassed? Is he have conditioning problem? Is this going to be a thing where he's so hot and cold? There are questions there. And I think I still said my evaluation of him does not change. He was still the best player in the SEC for month two months he was still the best player on that georgia defense all year but yeah i think you saw the downside of him as a prospect and that's that's totally fair brian derek i mean part of what was disappointing for me was i'm not an, the same avid college football watcher that i used to be and so i do like i pay attention to people like jeff and other people that i know do watch some of those games and and also the the you know, I rely on scouting reports and um, it was kind of like Jalen Carter and Will Anderson. These guys are a cut above everybody else. They are potentially game changing players. And it felt like, okay, this is a year where the Seahawks not only are going to get a top five pick, but they might get a generational talent from that pick. I didn't see a generational talent uh, in that game. Like th that's not what I saw. And so even if he's good, my expectations are reset a little bit. And I'm wondering if like when I get my chance to really dive in on Willie Anderson, which I got a couple of games recorded, I'm going to watch of him. Am I going to feel similar that this guy is a little bit limited in his pass rush, which I've heard it. And, you know, anyway, what is your perception of those two players in particular? How good can they be? I think they could both be pro bowl, even all pro level players. I think, Jalen Carter has a little more work to do in terms of obviously conditioning. Like we mentioned, he needs to understand how to work with double teams because he's going to get doubled probably every snap in the NFL. So there's more things to work on. 
the one the one thing I'll say about both of them is they're only 21. So these are very young prospects. <laughs> Hopefully the Seahawks aren't gonna surprise us all and draft a 24-year-old. Um <laughs> so so there's there's some room to work with them. Uh I I personally like Will Anderson a little better. I think he's a little more splashier, a little bit more of a playmaker. Uh, when you do watch him, there are going to be some snaps where he really jumps off the tape, but it's like, oh, he wasn't blocked on that play. So maybe that, maybe that won't happen. Um, but the conditioning issues or or just the snap rotation really bothers me. It worries me about Jalen Carter. If you're drafting a guy top three, top five, and he's going to play 50% of downs for you, that's, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm on board with that. Uh, you know, Will Anderson, you're going to get a three down player who's going to be there 95% of the time. So right now I'd probably put Will Anderson a little bit above Jalen Carter, but there are issues with Anderson as well. He's a little undersized. I think he's around 235 right now. Maybe he bulks up a little bit, but he probably has some size concerns there in terms of, you know, can he actually have a power move or is he just going to be a speed rusher his whole career? So question on to everyone. I agree. I don't know if either one of them are going to be generational players. I think, they're both going to be solid. I think there's there's a decent floor on both of them. But is this a Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa type guys? Um, probably not. Jeff, what about you? Like between these two guys, where 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 do you fall? And you know, which do you want to see them draft? I don't think any of them are generational. I I, I think it's rare to come to a draft and say. This guy, other than like Trevor Lawrence and Andrew Luck, and we've seen Lawrence, it took him a year and a half, and then there's cut problems. Andrew Luck had a, one of the stranger careers of any quarterback. Like when Nick Bosa got drafted or some of those guys, he was not a generational prospect. He was he got drafted after Kyler Murray, and Kyler Murray had all kinds of size questions. Um, but Will Anderson, like there's questions about his build. His build is almost identical to Micah Parsons. Like 6'3", 240, I think. I think they're almost identical. And Michael Parsons was a guy who was not considered a generational prospect. He was a guy who was number one defensive prospect coming in. He sat out the COVID year. He fell to, I think, 12 or 13 in the draft. And he was considered to be a good prospect, but he's now top five defensive player in the NFL. I think as a prospect, Anderson is probably similar to Parsons. They have a little different skill set. Um, Vaughn Miller was a very good prospect. I don't think anyone considered him to be generational. Um, we don't know. It's scheme. Bob Miller had quite a bit of pre-draft. Like there was yeah, a lot of confidence. second overall. Cam Newton was first. Yeah. He, like I mean, like there's a lot of these guys were like it's hard for me to say generational, but to me they both look like they have blue chip ceilings. And Seattle just doesn't have a lot of guys on their roster, and they don't have a lot of guys on their team who get there. The more I dig in on Will Anderson, there are questions there with his size and his drop off this year. But just some of the things I like, I've heard more about him is like his football character apparently is like off the charts. Like all the guys that come out of Alabama. And I, I was looking at this the other day, basically all of Alabama's like top 15 defensive players in the last five or six years, they've all hit Patrick Sertan. Like Saban has a, the way he recruits guys, Quinn Williams and Deron Payne and Patrick's. And there was another Minka Fitzpatrick, um, Marlon Humphrey, the corner in Baltimore. They all come out and they're just like football. And I was watching the Steelers game there and I couldn't help but think this. And, I watched the Steelers who have kind of a crappy quarterback and he's starting to get a little better. But I look at like Cam Hayward and TJ Watt on that defense and like those like kind of like blue chip, just pure football guys like that. And what that like Seattle doesn't have anything close to that right now. And I think Will Anderson is that kind of mold of a player. Just like a guy who can be the backbone of your defense. 
I think Carter, he kind of reminds me, like his upside is like, he's kind of like Albert Hainsworth, not like his size or that, but that kind of, that's the kind of prospect he is. When Albert Hainsworth was good, he was the most dominant defensive lineman in the league. But once he, his motivation got off, I think Carter has a, a risky floor and there are questions about his character. So I think both these guys are blue chip types, but they're not generational locks. And I think Seattle needs to take on Seattle needs a guy like that. They don't have a lot of blue chip players and it's hard to get into the top five of the draft. Like how often does this team happen? So I, these guys aren't sure things, but I, I really like Will Anderson as a prospect, but the way the draft's shaping out, I don't know if they're going to be able to get to make a choice. Unfortunately, I think it might be one of them falls or there might be another scenario. That we'll probably get into later the trade downs, but I like Anderson a little better. I was tweeting about that. I just think he, Anderson had 17 and a half sacks last year. He was the best player in college football, better than Thibodeau, better than Hutchinson. He would have been the number one pick. I talked to a guy for Jacksonville who was with them. They would have taken Will Anderson 100% last year over Trevon Walker. He had a bit of a drop off this year, but if that guy is that good, to me, I'm not going to let one year of slightly dip production impact that. He, he's a blue chip prospect. Also, his drop off was still 10 and a half sacks. So we're not we're not talking about, you know, he had two sacks all season. Yeah, last year that was being talked about the Heisman Trophy. And like that never yeah. happens with defensive players. So uh, that all makes a lot of sense to me. And we'll get into some like different scenarios here in a second, but I, I am a little bit confused about how Jalen Carter has gotten the rep that he's gotten with the slim production that he's had in terms of you know, numbers that, that, you know, count. I mean, I, I guess maybe if you're looking at pressures, maybe he's got more of those than what we're seeing elsewhere, but uh, he doesn't have huge numbers of TFLs even, which I expect for a defensive tackle to be disruptive in the middle and to, to, you know, in the college football playing for a Georgia defense where you're obviously also not just the only good player, you're surrounded by other pretty talented players. It's a bit surprising to me that he can have these questions and a lot of people are saying he's the, the best player in this draft. He should be the number one pick overall. It's it's traits. The league drafts on trade. Trevon Walker last year was the number one overall pick. He had bad production metrics. Like the league, look at the league likes drafting what someone could be, not what they are now. And you saw last year in the draft, that's how the NFL draft. Like I saw Mike Renner, Pro Football Focus say that what uh, Jalen Carter is one of the best defensive tackles they've ever scouted, and the numbers just don't aren't there. Like I know Rob State and Derek Quinn said, Rob did a great article on those two guys this week and kind of showed them how the numbers compared to some of the other defensive tackles. But it's Brian, it's purely traits. When they see guys who have the ability to do what he can do physically, they're drafting that that. And we saw it in Seattle this year with Tariq Woolen. If you watched him play last year, you would have thought this guy completely sucks, and he's been an all pro corner so the league just loves what someone could be but he is not the as broad pointed out this week he does not have a lot of the numbers and it's why your question so good brian he doesn't have those numbers that a lot of these other top quinn and williams guys had have had so it's purely betting on traits which could be an amazing thing as we've seen with the seahawks this year or it could be a disaster yeah see that's that's the thing is i i buy part of that i, I buy oh, sorry part of Oh, whoops. I'm just getting an echo there, but, but I buy part of that, but 
when you're getting in the top five of the draft, it's not just traits, right? Like, I mean, or the traits have to be so ridiculous because like Jamison Collins or Christian Thokely, like uh, they had crazy athletic traits that nobody else had for their, you know, their positions. But these are like late round flyers you take. I'm not saying Jalen Carter's a late round flyer, but when you're getting into the top five of the draft, the cost of blowing that pick is pretty freaking high. So, I, I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I guess I'm saying that seems inconsistent with like we've seen players drafted purely on traits, not necessarily that high in the draft. Um, Look who went number one last year. Jerron Walker's pass rush metrics were like 11% pass rush win rate last year. They drafted him purely on arm length and a freakish athletic ability. He wasn't even a good pass rusher in college last year. He was one, he was like not even a standout player on Georgia first so i think i gotta push back on that well so let me let me bring up a cut like you've seen bruce feldman's freak list right number one player on bruce feldman's freak list is a defensive tackle as well his name is mazzy smith he plays for uh michigan um i'm just looking over here he's six foot three 337 pounds um did 22 reps not with three not with 225 but with 325 he bench pressed 550 pounds he vertical leaps 33 inches he broad jumps nine and a half um and has a, a a shuttle time that would have been which is agility would have been the best of any defensive tackle in the draft last year he's that, looking that, like that now projected as like a third or late second round pick but the one knockback that isn't going to be shown on, on Bruce Feldman's list is he has really short arms. And, and that's going to scare teams. That's going to scare a lot of teams, probably the Seahawks. I mean, the Seahawks have, have a long history of only taking linemen with 33-plus-inch arms. So I think Jalen Carter is a level above him. Uh, uh-huh. But I think Jalen Carter is going to test really well. And and look, he's been on the he's been the anchor for the best defense in the country for the last two seasons. So, uh, and you know, this is getting back to his his snap count and stuff like that. You know, Georgia has a lot of talent. They can afford to rotate those those defensive linemen out so that everybody's staying fresh. Um, so maybe there is a, a bit of a silver lining there in that hey, it's just less wear and tear on his body, and and he can handle it um, once he's once he's doing it full time. So, yeah. And Carter was an all-SEC player this year. He was voted all-SEC. It's not like he's purely traits-based. He was all-SEC. And if you watch the last half of this college season, he was the best player in the SEC. I think that's the difference. He's done it. He's done the production. He hasn't done it. for. He was hurt at the beginning of the year, and he frankly he has had an ankle injury. And he sat out, and he wasn't good until he got healthy. But I think that's the difference. He was an all-SEC player this year. That doesn't – that conference – that's not like – Purely traits, no production. That's the difference. Um, before we move off these two, because they've obviously dominated a lot of conversation here, I want to talk about fit with the Seahawks scheme. Assuming the Seahawks stay with the scheme that they're doing, which is a more classic 3-4 um, alignment, um, nose tackle, you know, heavier ends, um, and then outside linebackers like Uchenna Nuosu, now Daryl Taylor, that are lighter. It seems to me that Will Anderson actually seems like a decent fit from a size perspective for an outside linebacker kind of role. 
I, I've heard knocks about him in coverage. This is a guy that's basically just been pin his ears back and go after the quarterback, and it seems like that would potentially be an issue. Daryl Taylor's had that issue. I don't know how he is against the run relative to someone like Daryl Taylor, who he's had real issues. Um, and then Jalen Carter, who, you know, I've seen this guy is, you know, he's a defensive tackle. Well, there's lots of defensive tackles. There's five techniques. There's three techniques. There's one techniques. Um, I don't think he's a nose tackle. Uh, is he, is he someone that makes sense as, you know, an outside defensive end essentially in a three, four. Um, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to kind of read up or pay attention to that, but do you think he's a fit for the type of defense the Seahawks are playing? Derek, go ahead. About, uh, yeah. I think especially with the bear front, he's, he's a really good fit. You can play him with three, three defensive tackles uh, and he can stay kind of inside the tackle. So he's not, you know, out there <laughs> in a ton of space with, you know, a super athletic tackle matched up. Uh, I think it's, I think there's no concerns there. Um, and I, I think he'd have no issue um, playing occasionally as, as a nose tackle. Um, I think he, he anchors pretty well against the run. So I'm not too concerned there. And, and Will Anderson, just back to the original point, I think he'd be a fine fit. We've seen guys before. I mean, Von Miller, Cleo Mack, those guys played in three fours. Uh, and yeah, they rushed probably 95% of the time, but uh, you know, they can occasionally drop and, you know, just, I, I think you, you can make room for, for a guy like that. So. Well, Von Miller is one of the best run defenders in the NFL, or at least it has yeah. been like, that's actually something most people don't realize he's been an elite run defender, um, even though he's known as a pass rusher. Jeff, are you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say that Anderson's role in this defense is, perfect, is very clear. Like Khalil Mack, Von Miller, they're very physical. They have a physical match to him. When oh, people are worried about size, him and Parsons. And the way that Dallas and Dan Quinn has used Parsons after he's moved into an edge rusher, I think that would just be a perfect way to deploy this guy. I know it's a different kind of defense, but Khalil Mack was the one I saw of Rob Stain compared to him. And Khalil's been the 3-4 player in the Fangio defense. He was the guy Fangio traded for in Chicago. So I think you can just slot him in that role. I know his dropping is not great in coverage, but I think that Khalil Mack kind of rolls. I think Carter is – I think you can use him as – They've used him in a strange way where they're using him as sort of like a two-eye defensive tackle where he's kind of rushing from the edge, and it's not really the best use of his skill. I know Griff, uh, who's been on our show before, is saying that in our defense he would play in a much better role suited to his game. So I think you can use him as sort of that five technique that becomes a three technique in pass rush situations. But again, his snap count and how well they use him, it's really important. But they need anchors on that defensive line. I think he does fit that role. So um, next, next part of this conversation is scenarios. So first of all, I've been clear for a while, and I know other folks have had different perspectives. I want to get the latest from both of you on where you are. I am defense pretty much exclusively other than interior offensive line with the first four picks that the Seahawks have. That's my priority. I definitely want the first pick overall to be spent on a defensive player, defensive lineman in particular. And that hasn't changed. I have some different ways that I think that that could fall, whether you get edge first or whether you get defensive tackle first. Um, and I want to go through a couple of those before we get into that. 
I don't know that you guys are both in the same place. Like Derek, I'm pretty sure you're not necessarily in the same place. What is your, what is your ideal outcome for that, for that first pick? um, And how do you want to see that fall? Hmm. Well, I mean, there's a lot of ways it could go. Like you said, I think a trade down is definitely enticing. Uh, picking up a 2024 first rounder, as you said, if we if this is the third pick or even the fifth pick, you can trade down just four or five spots and and pick up a potential first rounder next year if a team's hungry for a quarterback. So that's definitely interesting. Now, of course, you have to have someone to trade with, and you know if the quarterbacks get taken or hey these quarterbacks are sliding, you're not going to find someone to trade up. So that may not even be a scenario, but that would definitely be a route I would want to go down. Um, I wouldn't rule out a quarterback at this point either. Um, Geno Smith's going to cost a lot of money. You know, I know he hasn't had a great second half, but we're still probably talking 20 million a year, 25. So that's a lot of cap rookies bring, you know, a tremendous value from that standpoint. And, and I wouldn't rule it out. I think CJ Stroud had an amazing game in the playoff against Georgia uh, and there's some other interesting guys, not named Bryce Young, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson also declared. Um, probably don't need to take those guys top five, but you never know how it goes with the pro days and if they really impress scouts with their with their board knowledge and whatnot. So I'm not. I wouldn't rule out a quarterback at this point, but I would probably lean towards the defensive line and one of one of Anderson or Carter. Of course, if it's pick number five, you may not have that choice at that point. So I think it gets a whole lot messier uh, if those two guys are off the board. Maybe a quarterback is available at that point, but yeah, it gets it gets tough there. Where are you at, Jeff? In an ideal world, I still want that defensive player. I still look at this defense, and I still don't see anchors. And one of the guys that has been emerging, I'm not saying on a linebacker, but Jordan Brooks probably is going to play much next year. And there's just such a lack of, outside of Woolen of building block players on defense. To me, if you can get one, that has to be the start because – even if you get a quarterback, you're still left with a defense that just doesn't have those guys. And as we've seen in the NFL this year, you need complete teams. You need – you can't just be good on one side of the ball. You need studs on both sides. And to me, this is the chance to get that building block on defense. However, I'm not as steadfast as Brian. If they do fall – if they do love a quarterback and say it's C.J. Stroud, I can work around that. I think, again, it's hard to be in this top five. It's it's a rare thing. If they love, love, love a quarterback, then I'm okay with it. But all things being equal, I do want a defensive player, especially a defensive lineman. I want a defensive lineman. I just think they're so weak at that position. Um, I know Brian asked earlier. One of the things outside of the top pick, I think a receiver has to be a priority pick. And in the top, it doesn't have to be in the first round. It can be in the second round, even the third. But I was studying the cap. Uh, I'm, I'm working on a couple articles in the offseason, just looking at what their roster looks like in the coming years. Next year, they're really good cap-wise at wide receiver. DK and Lockett are both under 15, 16 million next year. I think Lock, DK is 13 million on the cap. I think Lockett's 16 million, which for those guys is a, a home run. The year after, they both jump over 20 million. So I don't think there's room for Seattle. I know Griff's always pushing for like Brandon Cooks. I don't think there's room for that based on how the cap's set up. They can only bring in a veteran, in my opinion, on a one-year deal. So to me, looking at those guys about to go 22, 20 million each, I think you need a receiver on a rookie deal. And we saw what happened last week when Lockett went out. Their offense, their passing game just fell off a cliff. And 
Lockett's getting older. I think they need to use that pick on a receiver. But back to your original question, to me, it's got to be defense. And all of a sudden, the trade down scenario does get a little more interesting. I think mm-hmm. even if three, either if you're four or five, we know who the top five teams are going to be. We don't know the order. Two of those top five teams have quarterbacks in place, Fields and Kyler Murray. I don't know if they're going to move off one of those guys. I don't think they will. I think no matter where Seattle picks, they're going to have a big card as the third team that needs a quarterback, assuming Chicago doesn't trade out. So I think if they're three, four, or five, they're going to be in a really good place if they do want to move down and sell that pick and get a, a lot in return. I'm interested. Let's take this for – I want a quick quick peek from both of you on this. Let's say we get the fifth pick. Um, Would you rather trade up to get – you know, maybe one or two picks to trade up to get Jalen Carter, Willie Anderson, or would you rather trade back and get more picks either this year or next year? I know we're not talking about specifics, but you, you know, roughly what those different things are going to net. So go ahead, Derek. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trading up for, for a non quarterback. It's just, especially at that point, I mean, to go from five to four to five to three, I mean, look at what has Chicago had to give up to go from three to two to get, you know, Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, no thanks. Jeff? Yeah, same thing. I am moving back. Um, I think if I'm trading with a team, I'm going to be really particular who that team is. I want to position myself for a first rounder with a team that could be in the top five next year if I'm going to move back. Um, maybe the Colts, if they end up under you. Maybe it's the Panthers. Maybe it's the Raiders. I don't know, but the Raiders could be pretty good, so they might be riskier. But uh, the next draft has some of those generational talents. I, don't, I know it's easy. We're always pushing forward. So if I'm trading back, I want to be in position where I want to be. It's hard to get in the top five. I want to have a chance to get in the top five next year as well. So if you're if you're if you're trading back, is your priority getting a first round pick next year, or is it getting more second and third round picks this year? And I'll ask, like, part of the reason I'm saying that is, in my opinion, uh, there's there's a lot of depth to this draft, at least through three rounds. Like, I think that there's some Pro Bowl level, like high level starters, especially on edge, um, a little bit on corner. Um, you know, I think you can get some centers, especially uh, late second, early third, if they choose to do that. I know, I know, but I'm going to torment you forever. <laughs> whether whether or not they do it, I believe that there's quality talent in those rounds. So, are you guys, you know, if you could get two or three additional picks in the top hundred this year, or one additional first round pick next year, what what's your priority? Um, I probably wouldn't be moving unless it's a first round pick next year. You got four, you got four in the top 50 this year. If you move back, you can probably even get another one plus a 2024 first rounder. So I wouldn't be too interested in, in, in acquiring more picks this year. I think they have enough. I mean, they already have, I think 10 picks is it this year? Yeah, and you know, so. John Schneider and you know, John Schneider is going to want to move down a couple times throughout the later rounds. There's only so many rookies you can, you can fit on a roster. I mean, you're not going to roll into a new year with 16 rookies on, on your roster. So I think, you know, you have 10 picks now, it's probably going to end up a couple more. I'd be prioritizing that 2024 first. And if you can't get it, 
take take your best player available. If that's a quarterback, great. If it's, you know, there's going to be risers that, that test really well at the combine and there's going to be some buzz always, always is. So I'm sure there'll be other guys that, that pop up as, as decent alternatives to Jalen Carter and Will Anderson if they go one, two or one, two, three. You the same, Jeff. I see you nodding your head. Yeah, yeah. Derek makes a good point because the college season is over next week and there's still four months until the draft. So there's a lot of evaluation. All we have now is the college film and things we've heard, but a lot is going to change in the next it's four months away. So it's, it's probably overkill that they have that much to evaluate players, but a lot of the rankings we see in the media are going to change. And someone we might think is not worthy of a top five or top six pick. That might, I was looking at mocks the other day from last year. I just wanted to, I was looking at just as a point of comparison, like Trevon Walker and Sauce Gardner weren't going in the top 15 in most mock drafts at this time last year. So it's weird that players rankings change so much, even though there's no games, but they will. But <laughs> to your original question. Yeah. For me, I want those first round picks if I'm moving down, if you're in that top five position, because if someone's trading up, it's probably for a quarterback. So you really control. And if it's that situation where two quarterbacks are gone and there's one left, you are really in an advantageous position there if somebody really likes that last quarterback. So you guys, you guys are just wanting to continue the value of the rust trade. I know you. You just want to keep playing it into future years. Every year it's gonna be trading back that first round pick. So, like by the time it's done, there'll have been 75 picks that we got from the Russell Wilson trade. All first rounders, by the way, the, the most lopsided trade in the history of the NFL. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because I I also, my net from my early reads on Willie Anderson and, you know, Jalen Carter are want one of them, you know, interested, but now less manic about the possibility that we don't get one of them. And more interested in well yeah that means that we trade back and get a first and we end up with a miles murphy or we end up with a uh who knows who the next best defensive tackle is right now people are talking about brian bruzzy i've been calling him brise it's bruzzy apparently uh i don't know how you get that from b-r-e-e-s-e-e -E -E, but anyway bruzzy uh he declared maybe you go that route um so i'm interested in that uh and then I think we'll see in this for our second pick. Like, I don't know if you guys have a, we've talked so much about the first pick. I think the second pick is fascinating for the Seahawks. Like when it was higher, it was even more fascinating. I was like a hundred percent. That's got to be traded back hundred percent because Seahawks don't need an offensive tackle. Uh, there's so much edge depth. I don't feel like you need to take one of the edges in the top 12 or top 10 in addition to another defensive lineman. But there are some interesting names like, you know, Brian Branch is from a safety position. Like, is he an interesting name for us? Um, do you get into a Jared Verse? You know, he's an edge that you could get into in the, you know, maybe in the 20s. Maybe he's in the teens. I don't know. There's, there's some interesting names later in that first round. Uh, one name I'm not as interested in is like Antonio Johnson. He's another safety, but he's more of a like clear, strong safety. I don't think that that's as much what I'm looking for. Great if we get it, but I'm looking for a free safety. I'd like to replace Quandre. <laughs> but uh, Trenton Simpson, like linebacker, I don't know if we need to take another first round linebacker. So I'm kind of curious. Do you guys have a name that's in that 
you know, second pick range, whether it's like 15 to 25, that, you know, that's interesting, a name or a position that you're kind of hoping that next pick's used for. Derek, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think I can give a name at this point, but there's got to be a few, there's got to be a few positions on that, on that radar. Uh, that's a great range to probably take the first interior offensive lineman. Um, maybe a little early, but you probably have your pick of the litter in terms of centering guards, which I think all three of those spots could be upgraded right now. Austin Blythe maybe comes back, uh, you know, with the familiarity there, but I think all three of those spots could be upgraded. Like Jeff said, wide receiver is a need. There's, there's just no way getting around that. Cap space is okay for next year, but then after that, Tyler Lockett may be a, maybe a, a cut candidate for cap space. He's also, you know, aging. And Marquise Goodwin, with Marquise Goodwin out, I think that has hurt the offense. Uh, and then, like we mentioned, when Tyler went out on, on Sunday, it was just it's pretty brutal. So that's got to be an option. And then the third would be linebacker. I know I know it sounds insane because they just spent a first round, but Jordan Brooks is probably going to miss at least September of next year. Mm-hmm. It's probably a, you know, a nine, 10-month recovery. So, And then Cody Barton's a, a free agent, I believe. So there's – there's definitely an open space there. Um, I don't know if I'd, I'd love it, um, considering they just did it, but I think it's on the table for sure. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, I want to hear your answer for this as well. Part of my thought on receiver is like, yeah, you potentially could get someone great. I, I don't know if like we'd get really value, at least initially, out of a first-round pick on a receiver, but like, and there's also like, there's some pretty quality receivers into the second and third round too. Like, I. I like Parker Washington out of Penn State. I think he gives me a little bit of Doug Baldwin vibes. And I think that actually what this team would really benefit from is a slot receiver. Rishi Rice is another guy that's totally different, like prospect, lankier, longer, you know, um, but also as a slot guy. Those guys you could get in the second or third round for sure. So, or at least at this point. Um, but yeah, what do you have in mind for that second first round pick? Uh, yeah, you 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 nailed it right there. I, I think the second round is the sweet spot for a receiver. But uh, I would love what Derek said. I would love an interior lineman. Uh, there's a center out of Minnesota who would be a really really good fit. One of the guards. But the way this draft's looking, I don't know if Seattle will do this. But some of the cornerbacks could be really interesting. And there's a guy from Oregon, Christian Gonzalez, who's like a really mm-hmm. tall, long cornerback. Brian Branch, who's more of a could be a safety or he could be a slot corner in this defense. He could. Um, um, there's the Joey Porter Jr., who is the former Steelers linebackers kid. Somewhere around that range, I think that's an area they can consider going. You pair those two guys, one of those guys with Woolen and Kobe Bryant and Trey Brown and Michael Jackson. That's a strength. Edge rush I first is a guy who I really do like. Uh, Florida State guy has some similarities to Brian Burns, who also went to Florida State. He was drafted in that range. If you draft a defensive tackle first, I think pairing an edge guy with him there would be fantastic. And then you have Nwosu Taylor, another first round edge, Boyamafe. That's a pretty good looking group. And I think one of the, I think either of those spots, but to me, with that pick, I was writing this a lot last year. My philosophy is I don't really care about trading back at that spot, I, I just want good players. One of the things like the Ravens have done year after year is they don't try to hit these home runs. They don't try to, they just draft solid, good players. And that was what I was so emphatic about last year with that Carl Charles cross pick. I didn't want to move down. I didn't want to get cute. Like I was happy if they took Jordan Davis last year, who now that we have to see our teammates, man, he would have been a good fit on this team. Let's do Jamal Adams straight. But um, I just want good football players. Then I don't want them moving back from 17 to 24 
miss a potentially miss a guy and end up with doing the LJ call your thing all over again. So oh, I just want football players, man. And I'm open to trading that first pick because of the haul you can get because of a quarterback. But that second one, I just want a good player. Stick and pick. It's someone who can really help this defense, interior line. They have so many needs. I think you got to just get good football players. It's so interesting. Like cornerback, like this is a deep cornerback draft. And like some, you know, we, we actually kind of made fun of some of the mock drafts earlier that had the Seahawks using a pick on Ringo, you know, um, you know, out of Georgia. Or, you know, there is the I've seen Christian Gonzalez as, as a pick uh, going to the Seahawks. Um, there's some other corners that are way high up there. I think Cam Smith is another name that I've heard. But up until now, we've talked about our corner position being pretty strong. We one thing we didn't get out of this season is to see Trey Brown back and know whether or not he's the guy I think we all believe he could be like, he could be your good other cornerback. He could be a potentially a pro bowl cornerback, but we won't know that. And so it's interesting me to me, Jeff, you're talking about using the second first round pick potentially on corner. Cause you could end up with a pile there, which isn't the worst thing in the world, right? Like talent's talent, but, um, <laughs> uh, I get a little bit nervous about taking a corner in the first round, given the the makeup of this roster. Doesn't mean you're wrong, but like, I agree with Derek. It would be ideal if there was an interior offensive lineman. I would love that. I don't know if there's that guy in the 15 to 25 range. Like Osiris Torrance is someone I know, Jeff, you like a lot. I, I like that he's a big, strong dude. Um, I like Voorhees. I, I think he's actually potentially a really good fit for the type of scheme the Seahawks run. I think those guys are late first round, maybe early second round kind of guys, um, which is great. But, but like, I think that second first round pick is going to be fascinating, especially if they get someone like Will Anderson, if they get Edge or they get Miles Murphy with the first pick. Edge is not going to likely be the second pick. Um, so... I don't know. That's going to be a really, there's not an, I mean, unless you really believe that you should draft a nose tackle in like, uh, you know, Siaki Ika, if I'm getting that name right out of Baylor, like, I don't think you, I don't think he drafted him in like the teens. Um, but like to your point, like Marlon Humphrey, Derwin James, these are names of guys that were drafted in the teens. You get Earl Thomas. You can get like terrific talent in the teens. So it'd be interesting in this draft to see. All right. <laughs> I want to talk draft for days and I know I've kept the guys on already for an hour. You guys have some more time. Cause I got to get the Patreon questions. You good Jeff yeah. for a little bit longer. All right. Let's take some Patreon questions. There are some trade questions in here. Um, Jeff, I'm going to start with you. By the way, we're having a major windstorm here. So if I just freeze all of a sudden, it's likely because we've lost power. Uh, I'll get my generator going and we'll get back on. But uh, in the meantime, let's see how far we get. Um, PCC the third asked, does making a trade with Houston make sense? They get their quarterback. We get our defensive stud. So I think he's talking about trading up. I think we've already kind of talked about that. So I'm going to skip that question. Um, let's go to D Crockett. Um this is not a draft question, but I'll stick with you, Jeff. Is it time that we see what Jake Curhan can do with some snaps at right guard um, before we get into the offseason? Uh, I don't have a strong opinion on this. Um, 
I'm in favor of playing players now who you can get a, who can be a part of your future. Um, Seattle's in a playoff race. They're trying to make the playoffs. I don't think they're going to make a move like that. But I, I would have we, – we were talking about this last week. This is something that, as the season kind of turned, I'm focused on guys who are going to be here in 2023. More so, Gabe Jackson, his contract, it seems extremely unlikely he's going to be here. He seems like an obvious cap cut, especially if you're going to pay Geno. Um, so the answer is an ideal word, yes, but they're not going to do it. They have one game left to make the playoffs, and they're going for it. So likely answer is no. Got it. Got it. Um, uh, I'm trying to see Derek. I want to pick some draft questions. We stay on, on target here. Uh, and some of these we've already gotten to flashed of the (laughs) power. Um, at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, this is somewhat draft related Braxton asks, if I were to tell you before the start of the season, Seattle will be eight and eight after week 17, fighting for a playoff spot. And in the final week, uh, sorry, all that in the final week, what is an assumption you would have made about this team that would have been wildly incorrect? Answer he gave, by the way, was like, he would have thought that Drew Locke would have been having a great season if that's how this season. Oh, Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. So mine would have been mine would have been that the defense was playing terrific and somehow, you know, dragged the, the poor offense, you know, to like a, a 10 to 13 win for like four times. Cause you know, that that's really what I thought. I thought, hey, this defense may be able to, you know, scrap together a few wins for, for the offense that's gonna be, you know, one of the worst in the league. So it's a great answer. There you go. Jeff, I'm gonna give you another non-draft one here. Um, but this is a great question. Uh this comes from uh, Sean Pyle. He says, kind of off the wall, but I was thinking about it the other day. What do you predict the score would be if the 2013 Seahawks played the 2005 Seahawks? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I think the 2013 Seahawks would win pretty handily still. Uh, I just think their skill and their speed. I think that was the best roster assembled in the last 50 years. So I would say 28 to 17. Yeah, it would have been fun to watch. Anytime you got a dominant Hall of Fame lineman, you know, that Seahawks team had such a great offensive line in in 2005. Um, But that defense, I mean, I'm never picking against that defense. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think they had the receivers to get open against that defense. Okay, we've answered some of these others. I'm going to skip through these. Ah, I will take this one. Um, oh, we got another flash. Um, <laughs> you guys still there? Am I still there? Okay, cool. Question comes from uh, Brondy. With Bobby Wagner coming into town, which of the old guard Carol era Seahawks do you miss the most? Not which one helps this team, but which do you miss the most and why? Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, Doug Baldwin's the obvious answer for me because I just, you know, I'm a big Doug Baldwin fan and I love what he brought to the team, but I'll go a different direction. Actually, I'd say Michael Bennett. I, I, I loved having 
a player like him that was so position versatile, so um, impactful in both run and pass uh, defense, um, and also just a pretty like free spirit. Like you never knew what he was going to say or what he was going to do. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's the guy I would probably pick. Can I give an answer to that one? Yeah, please. Mine would be Cam Chancellor. Um, we spent the whole show last week just talking about like how weak this team was and how like they have no one who intimidates anyone. And Cam was just so unique in that sense. And the cool thing about Cam was like, other than that Super Bowl he was playing, he was the best player in like every playoff game they had before towards the end of his career. And just what he did, like Evan just kept talking. And it was nice to hear Evan last week just talking about how like they don't have anyone on this team who scares anyone. And he was like the definition of a guy who scared someone. So I really miss having that kind of guy on a defense. That's what you want defensively. Okay. Um, given time, I'm going to cut it there with patron questions. Thank you to everybody who submitted them this week. If you haven't already, give the show a like. Please go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up, get immediate access to the Slack channel. Conversation is constant there. I've told you, and I will tell you again, it is better than the conversation going on in Twitter in most places especially because it's essentially Twitter curation. People post the tweets that matter there. There's conversation about them with friendly people that don't treat you like crap that you're going to actually end up probably making, uh, you know, having as online friends. So it's a great place to be great place to talk Seahawks sports, highly recommend it. And a lot of us on the show are spending more and more time there. So um, patreon.com slash Hawk blogger, sign up, get immediate access to that Slack channel. And you get to ask us questions um, that we try to answer on the show and do our best to do it. And all the proceeds go to charity. So come on. Of course you're going to do it. Um, let's quickly move to talking about a couple players on the CX. I don't know if we're going to get into a lot of breakdowns about these games from last week and the game coming up this week. I do want to talk a little bit about Bobby Wagner coming back um, since we just had that conversation. Before we do, I want to continue something related to the draft. Um, so Daryl Taylor, like as a prospect, is someone that we had high hopes for coming into the season. He is someone who really struggled to begin the season. And now after two and a half sacks last season, last game, he's got, you know, I think eight and a half sacks. He is has more sacks in his first, what is essentially two seasons. Um than any player in that draft class in their first two seasons, their first 30 odd games, even chase young, chase young said 26 games, you know, uh, has nine sacks and Daryl Taylor has played in 31 games um, and has 15 sacks. So Derek, I'm going to start with you and put you in a tough spot. Cause I know you were not a fan of what the Seahawks paid to trade up to get Daryl Taylor. You're a pretty vocal critic of that. Um, there's plenty of ways to poke holes at how he's played recently, but he's got this, he's, he's started to show his pass rush potential. Where does he fit? What does he, what does he do to your draft priorities based on how he's finishing this season? I'm not saving a seat for him. It, it, or, you know, I'm not penciling him in. It's penciling him in as a, as a starter. Uh, right now he's a rotational pass rusher and to me, nothing you know, nothing from last week or, or this upcoming week is probably going to change that. That for me, uh, we need to see more consistent production over the course of a season for me to think, okay, this guy's going to be a starter. So he's a rotational pass rusher, and 
look, you can never have enough pass rushers. If if they end up getting Will Anderson or, or another great edge rusher, great. You have you have three solid rushers now. So, I mean, look at the 2013 Super Bowl team, 2014. I mean, there was a lot of depth along that D line. So, it's never a bad position to have to have extra talent at. Yeah, I I think I'm in the same boat. And and Jeff, if you have thoughts, I'll, I'll obviously take those. But I think what I, what Taylor's production at the end of this year is doing for me, especially if he gets another couple of sacks, you know, and ends up with 10 plus sacks this year and in, in what was limited snaps um, overall. I think what it does is it reduces my priority of getting two edge rushers in this draft. I currently am like, I want a defensive tackle and an edge. If they draft an edge first, I wouldn't be against them, right? You know, I have not been against them getting multiple edge rushers. It's a strength of this draft. Get another one in the second or the third. Get a nose tackle, you know, whatever. Make the defensive line that much better. Maybe now I start thinking like safety wide receiver, um, maybe even cornerback start to become like higher priority, certainly interior offensive line. I've already been clear. That's, that's a super high priority. Maybe those climb higher than a second edge rusher. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are, Jeff. Yeah, I'm, I'm really aligned with what Derek was saying. Um, another thing that adds to the conversation is next year's the final year of Taylor's rookie deal. Um, second round pick signed four years. This will be a third year. I don't think you could go into a draft and I don't know if you're going to extend him. And obviously a lot will depend on how he plays next year, but, when you go into a draft, you're looking three years out, two years out, and Taylor's a guy who might only have one year left on the team. Uh, obviously, a lot will depend on how he plays next year to determine that, but I, th- I don't think you can plan with him being other than one year on the team. I don't know if they think differently internally, but to me, I still would be open to having him as just a huge added bonus. But I think, if, on the other hand, it's pretty, it's very valuable that a guy who plays so little is still impacting the game. And I think something has figured out in the way they're using him as a speed rusher. I know Pete was talking about this week and how he's not getting eaten up on blocks as much, but I think he's such a liability in the run game. We figured out he's just a role player at this point and his role is very valuable. Guys who can sack the ball, strip sack. I think he's got four strip sacks on his like in-app sacks. Like that Mm -hmm. is a really unique skill and it's something that's really valuable, but I don't think you can count him as a starter going forward. And he's in the last year of his deal. So I still would be open to adding one to two pass rushers. Well, to be clear, he's he's he'll he will be in his last year of his deal next year, um, which which I I still get your point. Do either of you think like typically the Seahawks have negotiated extensions not until um, a, a player gets into the final year of their deal? That's been their general rule. Do you think that there's a chance that they will try to negotiate an extension with Daryl Taylor this offseason? Wouldn't that be the final year of his deal? This offseason. No, like I, I, next year will be the final year of his deal. Right, but like with DK Metcalf last year, he still had this year on his deal. Yes. So that it would be a similar situation to that. Yes, exactly. That's my my, my point. Like, do you think that they will they uh, will try to negotiate an extension, or will they just let him get to free agency? I don't think so. I think I think they'll have to play it out. Uh, you know, they've been pretty picky about who they choose to do that with, right? Like Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, all the all the really superstars, you know, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, they've done that with. I don't think a guy like Taylor, who's not even, you know, a clear established starter, I don't, I don't think they're going to do that for, for someone like that. Look That's at Puna Ford. Well. Look at Puna Ford. Yeah. Yeah, look at Puna Ford. 
I never I, like I've always liked Puna and I've always like was like happy he made the team and happy he was gonna be a contributor. I, I missed something. I don't know why he got to be pumped as like this like difference making defensive lineman. He was always like a rotational nice guy to me. Like I, I, I don't know. I missed I missed a maybe an analytics or a film review somewhere that told people that this guy was like a major difference maker, but whatever. Um Let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about Bobby. So um, I think the story of this week, even probably more than the game to some extent, is the return of Bobby Wagner. Um, this is a guy who will come into town pretty quietly. Like it's not getting at anything anywhere close to the buzz that when Russell Wilson came back to town to start the year. Uh, Derek, you know, I'll have you talk about the difference. You know, Pete Carroll talked about uh, the two guys as they came back. Um. I'm really fascinated by this storyline and I'm, I'm curious um, if, you know, if you guys have any thoughts about what the exit of Bobby Wagner is meant for this team and whether you still feel like it was a good decision or whether you have any like uh, questions about whether that was something that if the Seahawks could do over again, they would do it differently. Um, and Jeff, I'll start with you. I think the way they handled the Wagner thing, I think that's a non-debate. I think they obviously handled that incredibly bad. I think if the Seahawks realistically knew they'd be in this kind of situation where they were a fringe playoff team and they were going to be right there, I think you would have liked to have Bobby on the team at a lower number. But his contract number was so high relative to production. And I don't know if it was scheme. I don't know if it was him. But they weren't getting a lot out of him in the last couple of years. And we've seen him in a different scheme. He's played remarkably better. But I think he was, like, supposed to make, like, 18 or 20 million this year. So, to me, like, when we looked at the roster last year, every one of us who were honestly looking at this, we all thought Bobby was going to get released. Uh, I would have liked them to try to negotiate with him, try to get him at a lower number, and obviously not watch Cody Barton play the whole year. And obviously it's easier to say this now with Jordan Brooks, but I think they did ultimately make the right move. I think they handled it obviously poorly. And I think they were right to make this position a youth movement. I would have liked to see them add something in the draft last year or add some free agents and not go into the situation they did where it was just one injury away from being a total disaster. But no disrespect to Bobby. I think from where the team wanted to go, they really wanted to clear out who the leaders were on this team. They really wanted to reset this whole thing. And I think the decision did make sense. And really they weren't getting value out of them. And they, I don't know if they would have this year in this scheme. So I think even if it hurt them a little bit this year, I think it ultimately was the right move. And I'm glad to see Bobby is still playing really well. And yeah, all things being equal, it would have been great to have him on this team, to push them into the playoffs. But I think long-term they, they ultimately make the right decision. Just handled terribly. Yeah, that's where I am. Um, Derek, can you uh, juxtapose how Pete Carroll talked about uh, Russell Wilson's return to Seattle and, and how he spoke about Bobby Wagner? I think it was today. So, so today, Pete Carroll's asked about what the fan, what he, what he thinks the fan reception will be. And Pete said, I think the quote was, I know the fans will do the right thing, which he meant cheer him on, clap for him, not boo him. When he was asked the same question about Russell Wilson, <laughs> Pete Carroll said, you're either competing or you're not, meaning go ahead and boo. So uh, interesting, interesting things to read into. What do you, what do you um, think about that? 
I mean, how do you feel about it? And, and then, and then, what do you think? What do you? What's your take about Pete having that? That different. I think it's funny. First off, I just think it's funny. <laughs> the whole Russell quote was funny in general to say you're either competing or you're not, as if it's like a competition about you know, like he's saying this in training camp or something like that. Um, you know, I, I I guess I was thinking about this earlier, and I wonder how Pete is feeling about Russell's struggles in Denver. Is he like, hmm, told you so? Or is he, you know, still being coach and, you know, kind of feeling bad for him and being like, man, what the hell's going on there? Um, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on that because I, I don't know what what he's feeling. I don't, you know, I think at moments uh, this year in press conferences, he's kind of flexed a little bit. You know, he's, he's shown, he's talked about, uh, you know, I'm not too old for this. I still got this. You know, I know what I'm doing here. Um, but part of me says Pete's a very caring coach, very – um, you know, affectionate, you know, very personal person. So I think part of him probably feels a little bad for, for how poorly it's going for us. I, I agree. I, I think that Pete has animosity towards probably his agent and some of the things that I think his agent was sewing about him and whether the game had passed Pete by and, you know, all this other stuff that he wasn't doing the right way. And I think Mark Rogers looks like an absolute, idiot from a football standpoint this year he looks like an absolute star as an agent he got his player what he wanted and he got him money that he probably did not really should not have and so he did his job but i'm guessing that's where pete is pete i can't imagine pete cheering against a player on an opposing team let alone uh you know someone that played for him um yeah, I guess like I have some thoughts about this just just briefly that, you know, having both had the chance to kind of meet these guys in person and see how they interact with people, how they treat folks like, you know, as clear as you and I are talking to you, the three of us are talking to each other now, how they interact with people, how people respond to them, the things they chose to publicize and didn't and their personas, how they exited and not. Bobby Wagner, like I had a time that I was at the Seahawks uh, facility and I was actually out there like working on a charity thing and part of it was serving sandwiches for the players. So I was in the cafeteria and every single guy in the roster came in. I was making them sandwiches, whatever. And there was a guy I was working for who ran the cafeteria. And most of the guys were super nice. Bobby Wagner stopped he's like i don't know who you are he shook my hand um introduced himself talked for like a few minutes about me and talked about him talk all that stuff it was the most genuine interaction i had with any player any coach any media member more genuine than like most people most co-workers i even meet like this guy's a super special person i left that thinking man his parents were superstars like they raised this guy right um, and he's got every genetic advantage you can imagine, right? This guy is a Greek God and he's like chiseled in terms of how he's built his physical skill set. He's a great leader, um, very humble. So there's just everything to like about him. And he has all this going for him and he's never been a guy that self promotes. And I think that some ways has hurt him, but in terms of recognition, he's been an all pro almost every year. He's been a pro bowler. He's had, 
I put this in the article today. I find it like madly ironic that Bobby Wagner will come to town and he's the guy between him and Russ. He's the only guy that got an MVP vote. He never said a thing about getting an MVP. Like that was never a goal for him or defensive player of the year. So I think like people can talk about gamesmanship and all these other things. And I don't hate Russ. Like I don't like the way things finished and I don't like how the dynamic between Russ and Pete on and Seahawks fan base created a divide in the fan base. I didn't like any of that, but man, I think, I think people are pretty wise about other people. And I think Bobby is someone who comes through and presents a persona that's super genuine. Um, and he got kicked out of town. He didn't ask to leave. So I think those things matter to fans and I'm looking forward to him getting the recognition that hopefully I think in some ways it's going to mess with him to get cheered the way it probably messed with Russ to get booed. I think he's so ready to be pissed off. <laughs> he's going to be showered with love. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I got, I have so much respect for a lot of the guys from that team, you know, Sherm, Doug, Cam, you know, uh, Cliff, like I could go on and on about guys on that team. But uh, I think Bobby's a pretty special one, um, not just on the team, but really in the NFL. So excited to see him coming to town. Um, and uh, maybe we'll get him on the show in the offseason. We'll talk a little bit about some of this stuff. But uh, uh, all right, um, let's do this. Let's you guys got to give me two predictions this week. In fact, I'm going to make you give me three predictions this week. You got someone behind you, Jeff. Can you wave hi? Uh <laughs> <laughs> He's gone now. <laughs> uh, you need to give me a score for the Seahawks game against the Rams. You need to give me a score for the Lions game against the Packers. And you need to give me a score for the Chargers game against the Broncos. Okay? I'm making it hard on you two because you're big boys. You know you can do this. And, you know, we're going to go with the newcomer first Derek uh we will go one game at a time so I won't make you do them all at the same time I'm gonna give you a little bit of time let's start with the Seahawks game are the Seahawks gonna win this game Derek and by what score yeah and I think pretty handily I'm going 24-13 24-13 Seahawks Jeff I will give him a break because he looks like he's off screen I'm going to pick the Seahawks to win this game I think the Seahawks will win 27 to 14. What did you say, Derek? 24, 13. Okay. So I didn't say the same thing. Good. No. Uh, Jeff Seahawks score first. Um, I'm going to go off the board. I'm going to pick the Rams. I'm going to say the Rams win 23 to 20. Uh, the stupid NFL gets everything they want. And I think there's going to be some very egregious refereeing decisions in this game. I think Bobby will have a good game. And I think we're going to see closer to the Seahawks team we'd seen prior to this last game. And Seahawks were very close to losing to the Rams with John Walford. So I'll say 23-20. And I won't be that upset if this happens. It'll move up the draft pick. We don't have to worry about getting screwed. And frankly, I don't want to play the Niners anyway. So maybe this is a defense mechanism, but I'm picking the Rams. Got it. I love it. All right. I'm um, coming back to you, Jeff. Um, 
you have to now pick the Lions Packers score. I will say 27 23 for the Packers in a game that's really close, but they just pull it out at the end. Jared Goff outdoors in the cold. I just can't pick him. We've seen it too many times. He sucks outside. Uh, you can only play in the dome. So I'm going to go with the Packers. Derek. I'm going to go with the Packers as well. I'm going to go 24 31. 24 31. So 31 24. He's <laughs> a new guy in the show. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to be boring and pick. I, I think the Packers are going to win, um, but I, I mean, I love the Lions. I really, I, I like. I find them the most lovable team uh, this year. I actually find them a little bit more lovable than the Seahawks have been this year, to be totally <laughs> honest. Uh, and I did not like Jared Goff at all. So it's nothing to do with him, but I just like the persona of that team. I even like Jamal Williams. That guy's hilarious. Um, so I'll pick the lions. Let's let go lions, man. Let's go up there and shock the world. They're going to win this game. Um, 26 to 23 and the Seahawks are going to go to the playoffs. <laughs> Oh boy. All right. Now we're going back the other way. We're going to talk about the Broncos Chargers game. Derek, what is the score of that game going to be? 14 to 6, Chargers. Oh, dude. I would take that over any other outcome this week. Uh, Jeff. No, okay. Go I ahead, just Derek. want, can I just, it's so bizarre that. The Broncos got absolutely blown out. They lost by 30-some points to the Rams with Baker Mayfield. And then they go and they go blow for blow with Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs last week. It, it just is makes absolutely It makes absolutely no sense. Well, Russ went from being, like, absolutely awful to being at least, like, competent for most of that game. And then when he stopped being competent, all of a sudden they fell off the, the – I thought they were going to – they look like they're going to win that game. They really, I, I left the sports bar to walk to the stadium for the Seahawks game. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> and then they came back and they won. Thank God. I thank God for the chiefs. Uh, my boss, actually, our, our CEO is, is a chiefs fan. And I was like, first thing is like, thank you. Second thing is happy new year. But first thing was thank you for beating, beating the Broncos. Um, Jeff, what do you think the score of the chargers Broncos game is going to be? Man, I've spent so much time convincing myself that the Chargers that's something to play for. I've sent you so many texts about this. And the fucking Ravens let up a touchdown on the last play of the game. And I didn't realize how bad that was for Seattle until that schedule changed today. So if the Ravens won that game, which they were winning 98% of the game on Sunday Night Football last week, that game today, I mean, now that game on Sunday, if even if they lose, the Chargers have to play. And this result just... And if Lamar Jackson's not back, the Ravens' offense just sucks with Tyler Huntley. And the Bengals, I don't know how the Bengals will react to what happened last Monday, but it's hard not to pick the Bengals. So ugh, I think the Chargers are going to end up resting guys. And I think Denver, I think the coaching change is really why you saw such a dramatic difference in Denver's performance. I think the Nate Hackett thing, and they changed a bunch of stuff. I think Denver's going to win. I'm, I'm so devastated about this everything that's gone on last week. And uh, now the Chargers might rest, guys, because of the time change. Uh, I'm pissed. I think Denver wins 17 
the 10. Is there uh, any chance that, that Lamar Jackson plays? Is I can't I haven't been following that closely enough. He hasn't he's, been practicing. He hasn't practiced. This is like the fourth week in a row without practicing. There's just <sighs> I, I really, really don't think so. Hey, wow. there's actually a good question in chat real quick. What is the worst case this 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 Broncos pick can can jump to if they do win on Sunday? I think it's pick six. No, it's five. 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 It's five? Okay, it's locked yeah, in. They're guaranteed a fifth pick or better. No, what happens is the Colts play the Texans at the same time as the Ravens game. If the Colts beat the Texans, it's a weird game because both teams are like super motivated to lose. Because if the Texans lose, they get first pick. If the Colts lose, they get, a, I think, four. But if the Colts win, the lowest position they can get is four. So because Atlanta won last week and because the Rams beat uh, I can't remember who it was. The Rams beat. Oh, the Rams beat Denver. Broncos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that win is massive now because now the, it's either four or five, depending on what happens in that Colts game. Yeah. So yeah, if the Colts win, just to be clear on what Jeff said, if the Colts beat the Texans, who are the worst team record-wise in the NFL, um, then the worst the Seahawks pick from the Broncos would be the fourth pick in the draft. Right now, the worst pick is the fifth. Could move up to the fourth if the Colts win. Um, so I mean, if the Colts win difference between three and four sucks but the difference between three and five sucks a lot more um so i am not going to be devastated by a top five pick i am past devastation we got to the point where i will not be devastated so that's awesome but i can't look i i think the chargers are really playing well right now i think they're peaking at a good time i think they're getting players back like joey bosa um, I think they've got the receivers back. If if there's any reason for them to play, I think they win in Denver. Um, if there's not, they still could beat them. But I'm kind of with Jeff. I feel like the Broncos are going to get their last win of the season just to do it at home and not have their whole season be a complete disaster. So I'm going to pick the Broncos to win that game 13-7. Uh, to 7. Um, yeah, we'll see. I hope I'm wrong mostly about that because God dang it. I want that pick to be as high as possible so we can trade it back and get more picks for it. All right, folks. Um, I want to thank Derek Gebby, uh, at Derek D E R Y C K G underscore and Jeff Simmons at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter for staying long tonight, especially Jeff who uh, stayed up very late on the East coast. We appreciate it. And thanks to everybody that tuned in. So uh, go ahead and give the show a like if you haven't already. We'd appreciate that. Click subscribe on the channel. Give the show a five-star review on whatever you listen to podcasts on. And please go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up. Get immediate access to the Slack channel. Talk with a bunch of other fun Hawk fans uh, about everything that's going to be going on for the Seahawks. Because guess what? This season, whatever happens this weekend, is not ending this weekend it is just starting this off season is going to be the off season of all off seasons so prepare yourself get on to patreon.com slash hawkblogger come talk with all of us you will not regret it from all of us here at real hawk talk wish you a happy new year be safe be happy and let's hope all the chips fall the way we want them to this weekend take care go hawks